I don't sound excited. Y'all sound half excited. I can't be the only one excited about the word of the Lord. I say, are y'all ready for God's word this morning? Come on, somebody. All right, y'all give it up for these two ladies as they read our text for this morning. Good morning, everyone. Today we'll be reading from Romans chapter 15, verse 8. I'll be reading it in English, and my sister here will be reading it in Spanish. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Oh, I have a mic. Never mind. <laughs> Romanos 15 a 8. Les digo que Cristo se hizo servidor de los judíos para demostrar la fidelidad de Dios a fin de com, uh, confirmar las promesas hechas a los one of these days, y'all, y'all going to look up and I'll be speaking two languages. My day coming. My day coming, Keith. It's coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, as we sit up under it, would you help our hearts to receive it, would you deal with our stubbornness, our stiff arm kind of attitudes, would you humble us under your word that it may be effective in our lives. We thank you that your word is not just a historical document that does not have application for today. But instead, your word is living and active, bearing upon the hearts and souls and minds of men. And so we pray that it will do just that this morning. Cut us deeply and then heal us by your divine grace. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody say it. It was September 1838. Frederick Douglass had escaped enslavement in Maryland by dressing as a sailor. Boarding the ship on his way to New York City, where he stayed for a little bit and then found his way to Bedford, Massachusetts, when then, upon arriving to Bedford that September of 1838, Douglas wanted to join a Methodist church, which he had been converted under bondage. And now that he was free, at least free from the space of his enslavement, he decided that the first chance he got, he was going to join a Methodist church. Well, friends, he found Elm Street Church in New Bedford, and he went to the church, and he sat in seating that was reserved for, quote-unquote, color brethren. He explained that by saying, maybe they are doing this not to trample on the feelings of some. He heard the preaching, and he believed the preaching was good. He felt that the preaching was sound, and coming from, coming from this reverend Mr. Bonet. Now let's pick up the narrative as he writes it in my bondage and in my freedom published in 1855. He writes, there were only about a half a dozen colored members attached to the Am Street Church at this time. After the congregation was dismissed, these descendants from the gallery took a seat against the wall, most distant from the altar. They were about to observe the Lord's Supper. Brother Bonet was very animated and sung very sweetly. Salvation tis is a joyful sound and soon began to administer the sacrament. I was anxious, Douglas said, to observe the bearing of the colored members, and the, and the result were most humiliating. During the whole ceremony, they looked like sheep without a shepherd. The white members went forward to the altar by the bench full. When it was evident that all the whites had been served bread and wine, Brother Bonet, pious Brother Bonet, after a long pause, as if inquiring whether all the white members had been served and fully assuring himself of that important point, then raised his voice to an unnatural pitch. 
He raised his voice and looked to the corner where his black sheep seemed pinned. Beckon with his hand, come forward, colored brethren, colored friends. Come forward. You have an interest in the blood of Christ. God has no respecter of person. Come forward and take this holy sacrament to your comfort. Colored members, poorest, slavish souls, went forward as invited. But I went out. I have never been to that church since, said Douglas. Although I honestly went there with a view of joining that body, I found it impossible to respect the religious profession of any who are under dominion of wicked prejudice. And I could not feel that in joining them, I was joining a Christian church at all. Douglas went on to join an African Methodist Episcopal congregation. Why did Douglas Church go to another church and not Pastors Bonet's church? Well, simply put, he was not welcomed. But hold on, Pastor Bonet might object. We accept blacks, we are diverse. We have white and black people in the same building. Is that diversity, church? No, it is not. Well, Pastor Boney may say, Fred, but can you name one church in the South that is doing what we are doing? We actually let blacks into our building and allow them to take communion. Is that a true welcoming invitation, church? No, it is not. You see, the gospel calls us to more than half-hearted welcoming of those who look different than us, raised differently than us, live differently than us. Instead, the gospel calls us to welcome each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And nothing is more antithetical to the gospel than the sin of racism. Racism is unwelcoming and seeing image bearers out the door. Now you might be wondering, what's the correlation of Douglas' story in the passage that we just read in English and in Spanish? Well, in our passage today, Paul addresses the church of Rome in regards to them being unwelcoming to one another. Not that they were unwelcoming for all, for, for, I'm sorry, not, n- not that they were just outright unwelcoming, but Paul had to assure that they were welcoming one another. Some of the reasons they were unwelcoming was uh, along the lines of brother, brothers with stronger faith and brothers with weaker faith. Some ate meat, others didn't, and they divided over that. Some wore certain clothes that others didn't, and they divided over that. But there was also the sin of racism in in Paul's day, where Jews and Gentiles were divided because of their ethnicity. Friends, the issue of race is in the Bible. You cannot read your Bible and not see this. This is not just an American issue. This has always been the issue since sin has entered the world. The sin of racism has always been an issue. It's all over the Bible. And if you don't see it, then you're not going to be astonished when you see Jesus go into places like Samaria. Or when you see Jesus love Gentiles, you're not going to be astonished by the acts of your Savior if you do not understand the racial tension in the context of the Bible. It is there. It is real. And we're going to talk about it today. And you'll get real uncomfortable, but you'll be all right. Paul doesn't shy away from dealing with the divide. I love Paul. He doesn't shy away from dealing with the divide. But he confronts the divide. How? He reminds them that adherence to the gospel truth means ethnic unity. Let me say that again. Adherence, I want you to hear me clear, adherence to the gospel truth means ethnic unity. The preaching of the gospel calls all ethnic groups to repent and put their faith in who? In Jesus. All who believe in Jesus are justified. 
There's no room for segregation in God's house. There's no back of the bus in God's house. There's no setup and dribble in God's house. There is not a Jewish water fountain or a Gentile water fountain in God's house. There's no redlining in God's house. There is no ghetto or suburb in God's house. Why can't this be? Because if these exist, we are not adhering to the gospel. So how do we truly adhere to the gospel in regards to racial differences? Friends, may I argue this morning, we must welcome each other. We must welcome each other. If we're going to adhere to the gospel, we must welcome each other. Despite of our skin, despite of our differences, we must welcome one another. Now, often when you tell a Christian they need to, for an example, forgive like Jesus did, what do they say? I'm not Jesus. And my classic response is, but you are called to be like Jesus. And this verse calls us just that, be like Jesus. Yeah, be like Jesus sounds real cute. We like to quote, what would Jesus do? But do you actually read what Jesus actually does? Jesus does some really hard and difficult things. Be like Jesus. It's a weighty thing. Verse 7 is one of those verses. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the what? For the glory of God. The repeated word is welcome. The Greek lexicon showed this to mean a genuine receiving of someone into your fellowship, into your heart. God is expecting some real, tangible embracing of other folks. Not that half-hearted, phony stuff that we like to do. Oh, yeah, I'd be nice to you when I see you. But when you leave, I don't like you. No, 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 no. But when Paul talks about welcoming, he's talking about receiving one another into our hearts. The opposite is to shun, to reject, or to separate. Receive into your heart one another as Christ have received you into his heart. And I need to pause right here. Bethel Gary, this is why it is important to, that the world sees a church in the middle of Gary, Indiana, of people of different shades and different backgrounds. This is critical to the gospel. We are showing the world that the gospel does something. And by God, it is hard, which I'll talk about in a minute. This is hard. Cross-cultural ministry is difficult. All kinds of worldviews coming in the same room. All kinds of values and principles gathering into the same room and trying to do. No, 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 not just gathering in the room, actually doing life together. It's difficult. Cross-cultural ministry is difficult, which is why most people do not like to enter cross-cultural ministry. And when they do enter cross-cultural ministry, most of them do not last long. They go back to their own camp because this is difficult. This is hard. And so people flee. I can just go back to what's normal. Go back to what's feel. I have to deal with these Democrats. I have to deal with these Republicans. Just go back to my camp where people affirm me in everything that I say. And they affirm me in everything that I feel. So I want to argue. I'm going to go on Facebook and and see people I disagree with, and just go back around people who affirm me and what I believe. And this passage says to receive one another into your heart, and you don't know whether you receive a brother and sister into your heart until you are going up against some difficult stuff, and you see what they believe, and you see what they hold to. Now, in a minute, I'm going to talk about some things that as believers we should separate on. There's some things that we shouldn't tolerate in the body of in Christ, and we're going to get to that in a second. This is not an all-seen kumbaya message. Okay, did Pastor Bonet and his congregation receive those blacks into their hearts? Did they, church? Did they receive them into their hearts? Did they welcome them on the basis of Paul's definition of welcome? No. They did not. But here's the crazy part. God welcomed them and he welcomed them. 
And in this verse, Paul is like, how dare we not welcome someone that God has welcomed? If anyone has a reason not to welcome, it is God. God has a reason not to welcome your no good self. You sinner. You have walking Christian. You hypocrite. You love when you want to and love when you don't. You backsliding Christian. You, you smile in public and you say Christian things in public, but at home you're horrible to your family. You Christian. If, if there's anyone who has a reason not to welcome, it is your God. He has every reason in the world not to welcome you. How dare you not welcome people over dumb stuff? We are sinners deserving of the darkest and hottest hell. I don't care how good they look, especially those iPhone users. No, I'm just messing around. My bad, Chris. I just, it just, I didn't even see it coming. It just slid up on me. I, I, it was not even my script. It just came up. Y'all got to pray for me when it comes to iPhones. I got issues. Okay. God's working on me. I'm messing around. <laughs> messing around. Let me keep going. Yet Christ welcomed us, Leanne. How can we not welcome anyone else that Christ has welcomed, died for, interceded for, is returning for, will spend eternity with? The issue is Pastor Bonet's church is the same issue in today's church. Many churches feel they are doing something in the area of welcoming because they are better than other churches in this area of ethnic unity. We have blacks in our membership. We have Latinos in our fellowship. We are not like churches in the 50s and 60s with segregated seating. However, God doesn't call us to measure our welcoming by the measurement of others, but instead his word. If we go back in time in Romans chapter 12, the Bible is clear about the nature of our welcoming. Love must be sincere. Must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You see, if we're going to have racial harmony, we can't have do this thing. We can't do it on our own terms. We can't do it to the degree it's comfortable for us. If so, we are nothing but hypocrites, and our love is not sincere. And Paul knows that this divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, this divide is real, and I need you guys to go there with me. I need you to go to the mid. I, 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 need, I need to go to the Middle East with me. I need you to see this. This is real hate between these two groups, and divide is antithetical to the gospel. And to understand why Paul and Romans had to instruct them to welcome each other, you have to look at books like Galatians and Acts. You want to get a feel for how bad this divide was, go to the book of Galatians and go to the book of Acts and just read it. And when you read, I want you to look for it because it's all over. The hate is real. Walk with me right now over to the book of Galatians. I want you to see something. I want to show you something. I want to show you how unwelcoming the Jews were to the Gentiles. The Jews literally were setting the Gentiles out. Now, it's not all Jews. I want to be clear on that. The Jews were, were literally setting the Gentiles out. The Jews didn't want to even eat at the same table as the Gentiles. Does that sound familiar? The result was this. Jews socializing with Jews and Gentiles socializing with Gentiles. You had the Gentiles over here. You had the Jews over here. Y'all don't cross this line. We don't cross this line. Y'all mind y'all business. We mind our business. You don't come over here, no problem. You don't come over here, no problem. Like blood and crips, right? I had to bring it home to y'all just in case y'all didn't know. South side, west side, you know, that kind of beef going on. You know, these colors, those colors. Y'all understand what I'm saying now. I figured if I go there, y'all catch up. And basically, it was a lot of smoke between these two groups. And I really wanted to know myself just how deep this hate was. 
So I hit up Wally, y'all. If you guys don't know who Wally is, he a pro- he's a professor at Moody, and he attends this campus. I asked Wally. I, I hit my boy up, Wally. I said, Wally, I know you study this, man. This is what you do. I mean, it's all day, every day. You're in the book. You teach Bible. That's what you do, man. How ugly is the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles? I got to preach this Sunday. I need my people to actually see this. This is what he said, and I quote. He sent this. Relations between, between Jews and Gentiles in the time of the New Testament were varied and complicated. While many Jews were deeply sympathetic to and involved in the community with Gentiles, many other Jews, particularly in and around Jerusalem, were not. One of the clearest and most visible markers of the type of deep divide that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles was found in Jerusalem temple courts. There in the time of Jesus and Paul was a large monumental warning inscription that indicated just how far and how close Gentiles could get to the inner sanctuary for the temple without incurring death upon oneself. The inscription reads, no foreigner, non-Jew, is to enter within or around the temple in uh, uh, the close part of the temple. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. Paul talks about the gospel tearing down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles in, in, in Ephesians. He's talking about a very concrete, literal dividing wall. And he says, see Acts 21, 27 through 36, he goes on to say, For some Jews, again not all, Gentiles existed on the outer ring of proximity to God. Paul says that no longer that's the case. In Christ, Gentiles can get every bit of close to God as Jewish people. Close quote. And we get a clear picture of the hostility in Galatians that Wally talks about. Now, keep in mind, it is widely believed this might have been one of Paul's first letters written, the book of Galatians. So this is very early on in church history. The Gentiles are just being welcomed into the fellowship of the church. I need you guys to see this, all right? Jesus died. When he dies, it changes the game. When Jesus dies, he opens the door for those people. And so now those people and those people who really don't kick it are now finding themselves in the same space. And when people who have never kicked it end up in the same space, there's a whole lot of mess getting ready to happen. Just wait for it. We lived it here. I got stories. But if you cannot accept the full work of the cross, church is going to be hard for you. You cannot accept the full work of the cross. Now, here in Galatians, we have an issue. We have an apostle that is walking in racism. We have an apostle that is walking in racism. Y'all remember Peter. Peter who walked with Jesus. Peter, Peter, Peter who walked on water, Peter. Okay? We're talking about Peter, Peter, the rock, Peter. Did everyone else forsake the Lord? I'll go with you, Peter. I'm talking about Peter who created seal, uh, uh, conceal and carry before it ever came out. The one who was ready to, 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 to kill some folks over Jesus. Y'all remember? They rode up on Jesus. What Peter do? What's good? Peter was from the hood. I don't care what nobody said. Peter was ready to go. But Peter had a racist issue. Here it is. You don't believe me. When Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. Come on, Paul. For before a certain man came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Do you see it, church? Peter the apostle, y'all don't mind if I teach this morning, do you? Peter the apostle refuses to eat with the Gentiles who are saved by the blood of Jesus. Put yourself there with the Gentiles. What would you say to Peter? Peter, 
is coming. Peter is coming to eat with you. Peter is coming to kick it with you. Peter who walked with Jesus. Peter who witnessed Jesus multiply a lunch of bow and feed 5,000 people. Peter who watched Jesus turn water into wine. Peter is coming. Peter is coming, y'all, and he's coming to eat with us, and we get ready to kick it with him. And then he gets there, and he's acting funny. If I'm a Gentile, I'm like, what's up, bro? What's good? Why you acting funny? Talking out the side of your neck. I thought we was cool. I thought we was boys. What's going on? Why you won't eat with us, Peter? Friends, this kind of separation, this kind of ethnic pride, this kind of cultural superiority is damaging on so many levels. That this sermon cannot even tell you all of the damaging effects of Peter's behavior. What effects does unwelcome racist behavior or culture superiority have on those receiving it? Friends, it is damaging in 10,000 ways that you can't even begin to imagine. One of the terms I don't have time to explain is internalized racism. We don't have time to explain that. Peter's behavior, though, is out of line. But this is why it is important when a people have been divided for so long, we disciple them along the lines of what divided them. God had to disciple Peter for a long time for him to see his racial biases. God had to walk with Peter. God had to teach Peter. God had to help Peter to see. Remember the sheet that comes down in Acts? God's teaching Peter. God's discipling Peter. Peter has an issue, but God doesn't stop loving him. God disciples him and teaches him. But if we do not, those who are discriminated against are left to figure out a way to cope with discrimination in God's house. Unwelcoming behavior must be addressed. How did Paul confront unwelcoming behavior? What does Paul do? He confronts the behavior in the opening. Watch what he does. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul deals with it immediately, and he deals with it swiftly. Then Paul goes on to explain why Peter's behavior is unacceptable. So he teaches, and he applies the truth of the gospel to the particular racial issue among them. And essentially, Peter wanted the Gentiles to assimilate in order to be accepted. Peter says, if y'all, in other words, his action was saying, if y'all want to be saved, if y'all want to be Christian, y'all need to assimilate and be Jewish. He wanted them to be Jewish, be like us. And Paul is like, oh, no. The gospel doesn't require us to stop being ethnically us. Let me say it again. The gospel does not require for anyone to stop being ethnically whom God has created you to be. If you, you, you be who you be, you be proud of who you are. God has no problem with whom he's created you to be. Gentiles do not need to conform to Jewishness in order to be saved. They can be Gentile and still be Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could be all Gentile and still be Christian. Salvation does not come by assimilating to another culture. That's not how you're saved. We're saved on the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's it. Nothing else is required of you. Not, not, not to cut your hair a certain way, not to... Observe certain holidays, none of that. If somebody tells you that they're preaching another gospel, they can be Gentile and still be Christian. What I love about this, this text in context is Paul is Jewish, and he's rolling with some of his Gentile friends. Man, this is good. Paul homeboys is people that his people are not supposed to like. And Paul stands up and against his Jewish bros in order to protect his Gentile bros. And if we are brothers and you say that you love me, 
you must stand against my oppression. You must stand against the things that are not good for me. To love me necessitates something of the opposite. If you love Jewish people, you hate the Holocaust. You cannot love the Holocaust and love Jewish people at the same time. You've got to stand against the other. We don't have to dress the same. We don't have to sing the same. We don't have to eat the same. Our preaching style doesn't have to be the same. The only thing that has to be the same is the gospel. The gospel that we preach is the only thing that God requires to be the same and consistent, and it does not change depending on the ethnicity. No, the gospel must say anything else we must welcome with open arms. You want to wear J's, Jeff, and I want to wear Birkenstocks? That's all right. Mike, we can't divide over gym shoes. Although we tempted to, you socks and you cups, so good. I mean, not good, good, you know. You know, it's, you know we, we good. We, we ain't cool, though, you know. You know, I talk to you every now and again, you know, because that's what I'm supposed to do. But I really don't like you. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> now, one may argue, come on, Paul. Aren't you being a little harsh? Aren't you doing too much, Paul? Wouldn't Christ want you to be nice in this moment, Paul? You are being divisive, Paul. We are eating right now. Why are you bringing this up, Paul? Can't this wait, Paul? Paul, can't this wait? Can't we move slow? When it comes to justice, When it comes to this kind of divide in the church, we must not wait because the gospel is at stake. What happens when Peter's unwelcoming behavior goes unchecked? What happens? It furthers the divide. When the behavior of Peter is not checked, it furthers the divide in the body. We must deal with it. Leaders cannot run from dealing with difficult topics. And oftentimes we want to avoid divisive topics. And there is some wisdom in that. But to avoid some so-called divisive topics is divisive itself. Something divine happens when we are allowed to have difficult and candid conversations, for example, about the unique challenges facing the black community without fear of being silent. Something happens when brothers and sisters on the grounds of the gospel can open up and have honest conversation. Brother, why you think that? Brother, why you feel like that? Brother, why that hurt you? Sister, why you feel like that? Why that's going on? In fact, we actually put it into practice here at the campus. We first started a couple years in. All kind of drama started popping off, different political views, different viewpoints. I'm telling y'all, cross-cultural ministry ain't no joke, and I get people come to my office, pastor. We like what y'all doing on Facebook. We want to join. I'm like, I don't know if you want to join. I don't know. Y'all don't know if you want to join. Oh. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you want. You sure you want to? Yeah, you sure you sure you want to? Okay, okay. Now I just tell them straight up now. I done been through it so much. I'm like, let me tell you what's going to happen. These days you ain't going to like me. That's going to be some stuff. There's going to be some viewpoints in here that you're not going to agree with. That's going to be some tension. If you ready for that, then come on. But don't just buy the picture because one day if you come down here, you're going to have to live the movie. And you're going to have some folks that on two different ends of the spectrum on some things. You're going to have to eat with some folks that see things differently. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain things that we're not going to tolerate, and racism is one of them. That's not negotiable. That's antithetical to the gospel. Now, we may have different political views. We can agree to disagree on that, right? We may have different views on what shoes we're going to wear, but we can agree to disagree. All right? People want to join, but they don't realize how much hard work it is. Cross-cultural ministry is seeing you running back to where you came from. If you ain't serious. 
I mean, even on staff, man, we done had some hard talks. But we trucking, though. We doing this thing. And I've never felt more closer than some white brothers and Latino brothers ever in my life because we were willing to go there. And to me, we ain't loving each other until we didn't have a few arguments. We didn't have some disagreements. I went home. I didn't like you. I couldn't stand you. But yet we stayed in the same place together. And now we love each other more than we did before. And it ain't phony. This real. You my brother. I ain't going nowhere. Number two, what happens when Peter's behavior is not checked? What happens? I want you to watch this one. This is important. When Peter's behavior goes unchecked, it creates many churches instead of one church. Essentially what Peter is doing is creating a Jewish church and a Gentile church by his behavior. Watch what he does. Isn't this a consequence of his behavior? Isn't his behavior preaching a different gospel? Isn't his behavior saying God welcomes the Jews and not the Gentiles? Is it not saying that? Is this true? Let's allow the Bible to answer. This is what Paul say. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Peter's behavior creates in that moment a Jewish church and a Gentile church. This is in direct opposition of the work of Jesus. This is what the Bible says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth call uncircumcised, that's ususes, by those who are called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, come on church, far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Y'all better stop playing with the blood of Christ. That's powerful right there. Woo! Solving racism. You know how racism is? It's all. There it is right there. Battle the blood of Jesus. Broke it. Demolished it. One act on the cross. Destroyed it. We ain't got to do nothing but walk in. Which we'll talk about in a second. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. This is true whether we do it or not. This is true. We can't change. Jesus' work is fixed and done. There's nothing we can do. You're either in step with the gospel or opposed to the gospel. That's it. Two groups, one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And we saw the same thing in America. Because many white churches were so focused on being the white church instead of the church, it created the black church. It created two churches. This is horrible. Should this be? Not at all. It needed a Paul to stand up and say, God is not for segregated churches. Was it the Gentiles' fault that Peter made them have their own church? Absolutely not. And we fought the black church for having a black church? Absolutely not. They had no other choice. So neither can we fault black and brown people like Douglas for forming a black church. They needed a safe space. In fact, in one book, uh, psychologist says, uh, in, in, uh, uh, in, in this classic book, why are all the black kids seated together in the cafeteria? In the book, she explains that racial grouping on the part of black adolescents and adults is racially mixed environment is actually a positive coping strategy in response to the stress that is caused by racism. Friends, the church should be the one place where that coping mechanism or strategy is not needed. The church should be the one place where that kind of coping strategy is unnecessary. But when we say that people must assimilate in order to be justified, we're preaching another gospel. Another example are slaves from Africa. They were baptized by the multitude. Then they made them change their names. That kind of colonized Christianity stripped people of their dignity, and it is wicked, it is demonic, and it is not of God. You don't have to become a Republican or a Democrat in order to be a believer. 
Put your faith in Jesus. But you know what the issue is? We're too busy trying to be liked by everybody. And what we need is more Pauls who are willing to stand up against such prejudices. So that the one place this coping strategy is there shouldn't be needed is in the church. Martin Luther King Jr. said his biggest struggle in the race to injustice, to, to, in his race to justice, were white moderates who refused to say anything. And friends, we have some of the same divides to this day, but it just looks different. We don't have segregated seating. You're not going to go in any churches and you're not going to find black sit over here, white sit over there. No, you're not going to see that. But look at North County and South County. Come on, I want to come to your front room really fast. Look at North County and South County churches. We're still divided. We, 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 yes, we are. Yes, we are. We're more sophisticated than our, you know, being divided. But, yeah, we're still, yeah, we're still divided. We say, yeah, we come a long way. We haven't had any real tough conversations. We play welcoming, but are we truly welcome? That's why people are so shocked when they come to this campus. And they see black and white folks in the middle of Gary, Indiana. What's going on up there? What they selling? Kool-Aid up there? <laughs> people, see, people be messed up, man. I'm telling you. They be messed up. Something ain't right. Something going on. And there's a young black preacher in there, too. You got white brothers and sisters in there listening. God doing something divine up in there. Can I be real this morning? We welcome each other on the outside, but not on the inside. And this is the issue. Friends, we have to deal with the underneath the surface stuff. Learn this last week. Last week, y'all, right before I was about to preach. I learned of the possibility that my brand new basement floor could have been ruined because of the backup in my plumbing system. Broke my heart, y'all. I was messed up. How I got up here and preached, I don't know, but power of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Woo! I had to get myself together in the office before I came out. I was like, Lord, you got to be kidding me. Water got underneath my laminate flooring, y'all. It got underneath that seat thrown up under now. It's one of those laminate floors that when it's locked together, Water can't really damage it, but if water gets underneath that laminate floor, oh, it messes that laminate floor up. Brother Victor told me, Pastor Dex, you got to pull it up. I squealed a little bit, cried a little bit. I got emotional, Crystal. I, I didn't want to hear that. I said, I don't want to pull it up. It's going to cost me too much to pull it up, brother. You don't understand. My pockets don't talk like that. He said, if you don't deal with this, what will happen is over time, the wood will swell and separate. He said, it looks fine now and tightly joined together, but over time, it will separate. Friends, the same is true with our unity. If we don't deal with the injustices that have seeped underneath our fellowship, eventually separation will occur. We may look fine and together, but all it takes is another George Floyd, and we quickly discover we are not as united as we thought we were. Do you know how many blacks and whites separated over the summer after Ahmaud Aubrey and Embriana Taylor? I don't believe it were those incidents that caused the divide, but the long delay and refusal to deal with Peter-like behavior. Surely pulling up the floor will cost us. Surely confronting injustice will cost us. But as Victor said, Dexter, it is easier to pull up the floor now than later because it will cost you more. Pull up the floor if you got to because nobody wants to stand on some fake, phony unity. It costs Paul dearly. Okay, now we're talking about cost, right? We're talking about pain, right? We get close to our pockets. We get all squirmy. We get real, right? We get real uncomfortable. We start breaking out in sweats and stuff. Money, what? Hold on. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you one even better. This kind of unity is going to cost you your life. Whether metaphorically or literally, it is going to cost you. It costs Paul dearly to stand up against racism in his day. Imagine, Paul. Coming up, talking to Peter like that. He may not be allowed in Jerusalem anymore. 
he may not be allowed to kick it at the synagogue anymore. Okay, and he may be slandered. Paul, it's going to cost you. Can you imagine what's going on through Paul's mind? But if you go to Galatians chapter 1, Paul says something. I'm going to preach this how I feel it because Paul said this. He says, I don't preach. I didn't become an apostle to be a pleaser of man, but I became an apostle to be a, a, a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. And then at some point, you're going to have to make your mind up, Tristan, whether you're going to be a pleaser for people or you're going to be a pleaser for forgot going over to Matthew with me real fast because Jesus says something. Fear not those who can destroy the body, but destroy him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You better figure out where your allegiance is very quickly. This thing going to cost you. It's hard work, and it cost Paul his life. Racial unity is a bloody matter. Now, let me tell you, you're going to enter the arena of uh, racial discussion. And as one writer put, you're going to get beat up. I mean, it just ain't no way around it. I mean, I tried to figure out ways myself around it because it's uncomfortable, you know. Start to cost you a little bit. You want to get that up off of you, right? We want to find the easy way out. Ain't no easy way. I don't care where you I don't care. I don't care. You're going to get beat up. Somebody going to say you didn't say it hard enough. Somebody going to say you didn't say it tough enough. Somebody going to say you should have just this way. You should have did this. You should have did this. The only thing you should care about is are you in line with the scripture and that is what you're doing pleasing to God. You got to make. Okay, maybe Paul didn't get you. That didn't move you. That didn't move you. That didn't move you. That didn't move you. You say, Pastor, I don't believe you. It's not, it's, not, it's not a bloody matter. If you don't believe Paul, maybe you'll believe Jesus. Jesus opened the door for welcoming behavior. We see this in our Back in Romans, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Why didn't Jesus come as an Indian or a German? Oh, Tim, a black guy with J's. I said, I, you know, if I had seen Jesus, I would have definitely put some 11s on him and sent them off. That's just, a, no, let me keep going. Let me keep going. Because God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that through them salvation would come for all the world. He says this in, in Genesis. You got to know your Bible now. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Slow it down, Dexter. Let me read it again. Let me replay that for you. I will surely bless you. Come on, God. When God makes a promise, he makes sure that he stands on his promise. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. When God says something, he's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and your offspring shall all the nations. Somebody say all the nations, all the nations, not just one nation, not just the American nation, not just the Jewish nation, but all nations of the earth will be blessed. This and other promises God made to David meant Jesus had to come as a Jewish man. But here's the ironic thing about the promise. This is what tripped me up, y'all. This Jewish Messiah would also, and Jesus was Jewish, y'all. I'll put that out there. He was, he was Jewish. All right. I want no fighting. All right? I don't want no arguments. All right? He was Jewish. All right? Don't be telling me nothing else. The Jewish Messiah also would be the bridge. This Jewish Messiah would also be the bridge between Jews and Gentiles. God would use his Jewish son to save the Gentiles. Come here, God. The Gentiles that the Jews hated. God would himself go and eat with the people his people refused to eat with. God himself would go and heal those whom his people consider ghetto. God himself would go and walk with those whom his people didn't want to walk with. God himself would go to the neighborhoods his people wouldn't go to. It is God, not, is God not teaching us something here? God will not be confined by human racism. And since I'm there, he won't be confined by human sexism either. Because he was talking to women that he shouldn't have talked to. And we learned that God is a God who welcomes all at all costs. 
so that he can say with confidence, whomsoever. When he said whomsoever, he meant whomsoever. Doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're green, doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, whosoever. And racism says, no, not no whomsoever. Whomever becomes Jewish, whomsoever circumcised, whomever wears their hair like this, whomever dresses like this, whomsoever located like this. No, 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 no. The Bible says whomsoever. And God would die for a whomsoever. God laid down his life for a whomsoever. What kind of love is this that you die for whomsoever? I died so that I can open the welcoming door to the whomsoever. There is no stipulations outside of believing in my son. It's hard to get cats in the hood to believe this, mainly because the Bible has been misused to keep black and brown people docile. But nowhere in the Bible does it promote white supremacy or the supremacy of anyone, but only the supremacy of Christ. And I refuse to believe in any God that makes a God out of skin. Skin is just skin in the end. Not dismissing, I'm not trying to dismiss all the social harms that are associated with this social construct, and there are many. DNA argues we are all, we all come from the same place. If there is a God, he has to be the God of all, or he has to be the God of all, or he is not God at all. But this is why we must stand against injustice and cultural superiority, and much more in the church, because it is against the direct mission of Jesus. Here's the thing that could burn you up about it. Not mainly that black people would be oppressed, and we should be moved by that. Not that Latinos could be oppressed, and we should be moved by that. Don't get me wrong. But what should burn you up the most and put you on a fire and a mission to come against this demonic division is the glory of God. That is what should burn you up at night. That God's glory is on the line if we don't get this. That we're lying about our God if we don't get this. Welcoming is about God's glory. And this is what he says. Paul, back in our verse, he says, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For the sake of time, I'll note that Paul then quotes four Old Testament passages that each describe not the Jews, but the Gentiles praising God. The words are applied to Gentiles, praise twice, sing, rejoice, extol, and hope. The Jews had largely missed this reference to the Gentile worship of God. We read what we want to read when, when, when we don't want to see something else. Paul points out that the Jews and the Gentiles praising God is right there in their holy scriptures too. In the gospelized church, ethnically different but united in praise is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We know that God sent his son into the world to die for sinners, but he also sent his son into the world to unite sinners of all colors. And the underlying motive of that is for God's glory. You are not the center. And if we are passionate about God's glory, we will pursue an authentic, welcoming community at all costs. Now, this is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Multi-ethnic pictures and posters, those are cute. Don't get excited about those. Different colors in the same building? That's easy. That's easy. That's easy work. Doing life together? No, really doing life together. I mean, like, really getting to know each other. Like, I'm looking at Mike. That's my brother back there, man. He's been here for a long time. But that's my brother, man. We done walked some things. We've been at this Gary thing for a long time. That creates something when we stay together. But I can also have tough conversations with him. Man, I got to be able to do that. I got to be able to do that or we're not real. Right? I got to have a frustrating day, maybe a bad day, where I just missed the mark and we still good. And you know what? You get tired at times. 
especially if God has called you to be a bridge in this. As one writer says, bridges get walked over a lot. You get tired. You want to quit sometimes. You want to give up. You want to go back to your own camp. Be so much easier and got to deal with all this mess. And sometimes it's good to take a breather for some of this. I'm going to say so myself. Got to have a little soul self-care, right? Got to care for yourself. But it was the great liberator and emancipator, Harriet Tubman, this Jesus-loving woman who risked her life for the sake of others who penned these words. If you are tired, keep going. If you are scared, keep going. Come on, worship team. If you are hungry, keep going. If you want to taste freedom, keep going. We got to keep going in this. What? Fighting against unwelcoming behavior in the church. The dynamics of race affect people across the spectrum of color, creed, and country. You see, if we are to do this, this means, number one, we must confront unwelcoming behavior. It means we have to be like Paul and be willing to confront all forms of racism in the church that could cultivate an unwelcoming heart. Not atmosphere, heart. We are all guardians of the glorious gospel. You are, and 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 you on Facebook, you are a guardian of the gospel. And if you don't do it, God himself will. And when there's anything among us that says a particular people don't matter, we ought to be willing to stand and bear the cross that comes with standing. You see, racial harmony comes at a cost, and many are not willing to pay. But racial harmony cost Jesus his life. It cost Paul his life. It cost Fannie Lou Hamer her life. It cost MLK his life. And you think that you're going to get away? You're not. We don't confront unwelcoming behavior. If we don't confront unwelcoming behavior and systems in the church that cultivate unwelcoming behavior, we'll have more Frederick Douglasses leaving the church. Feeling as if they're unwelcome. Feeling as if the gospel doesn't have any space for them. We don't confront systems and attitudes that make women feel unwelcome. We'll have women leaving the church. And we got to confront them because who else will? The world is confronting them, but they don't have the answer. The church got it. We got the answer. Imagine your life if Christ refused to pick up the cross. Imagine if Christ refused to welcome Gentiles. Just think about it for a moment. How devastating would it be? Would you even be in your right mind right now? What if Paul didn't stand up to Peter's unwelcoming behavior? What would have happened? What if Paul would have been like, I don't want to upset Peter? What if Paul put Peter's comfort over the gospel mandate? What if Paul was like, look, Gentiles, you go over there. Jews, you go over there. And y'all just don't talk to each other. That be glorious, or will we just be like the world? Church, if we want to glorify God in gospel harmony, there must be repentance from our sins, turning away from our injustices, dealing with the systems that favor one group over the other. And then we must come to the table and say, How do we move forward according to the scripture? One of the ways you start with this is we must educate ourselves on unwelcoming behavior. Both black folks, white folks, Latino folks, Asian folks, we need to understand how our culture works. We need to understand how we have developed systems that are not good for all people. Because if you do not exegete your own culture, you will not be able to apply the gospel to it. And you will walk around thinking everything is good when it ain't good. We are so prone to be some half-welcoming people. In Bethel Church, we have a long way to go. Yes, we have a church in all counties, but we got a long way to go. We got a lot of conversations to have. We got a lot of fights ahead of us. But know this, that the cross has already won it for us. Therefore, our hope is not in us, but our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And on the authority of the scripture, I tell you this morning that it can 
be done. In Jesus' name.